Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse guest on the podcast. We talked about the public purpose of marriage and, of course, the elephant in the room, divorce. And she had some thoughts as well on the reproductive health law. Welcome to the Jay Aruga Show. How is everybody doing? Welcome to the Jay Aruga Show. Our next guest is someone I'm very excited to talk to. I'm a follower of hers in YouTube. She's one of the powerhouses when it comes to the subject of family, marriage, sexuality. Author of the books A Sexual State, Love and Economics, and among others, she is the founder and president of the Ruth Institute. You may have heard me saying her name in the podcast from time to time because I always refer to her quotes and talks when it comes to the subject that we tackle here. And now we have her on the show. I'm very excited. Please welcome Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse. Hi, Dr. Morse. How are you doing? Hey, I'm really glad to be on the show here. <laughs> I'm I'm excited to have an audience in the Philippines. This yes. is so great. Thank you for thank you for persisting in finding me. <laughs> uh, how is everything in your side of the planet right now? Oh well, we're we're okay. We're mm. doing fine. We have no hurricanes, so we're <laughs> grateful for that. We had two hurricanes last year that hit our our little city here in Lake mm. Charles, you know, so we're very grateful that, that the sun is shining. We, uh, we're, and we're grateful mm. to have a roof over our heads, you know, so. What state are you on? We're, we're in Louisiana. Oh. We're on the Gulf. We're on the Gulf of Mexico, mm. um, right next, right next to Texas um, is where, is where I'm located. So. All right. Can you give us a brief background, Dr. Morse of yourself, because I might have missed uh, anything, something, in the intro, and maybe you could tell us the oh, story of how well, the Root Institute came to be as well. Well, <laughs> I, we don't have that long, but okay. I'll tell you, my, my, my doctorate is in economics. Mm -hmm. um, I taught economics for um, about 15 years at uh, Yale University and George Mason Universities. And I, uh, I was free market economics, so I was always on the more conservative side of things. All right. Um, and I was a lapsed Catholic. I was brought up Catholic, but left the faith. And I actually, it's interesting, I left over sexual issues, mm. and then I came back over sexual <laughs> issues. Um, and, and the reason I ended up coming back to the faith was the issue of infertility, uh, that my husband and I were trying to start a family. I was one of these career women, mm. you know, who had put off having children. And this is one of the big lies that they tell you. You know, mm. so those of you in the Philippines who are still living in a Catholic country, I want you to understand mm. that when they come and they promise you all these great things that are going to happen, if you just get get modern and get with the program and do mm. all these modern, wonderful things, they are lying to you. You know, they're mm. only telling you half the story. Mm. Um, so, yes, ladies, you can have a great job, uh, but you have to give up your years of peak fertility in mm. order to do it. Mm. Right. You have to go to college. Uh, you have to get your doctorate. All that while your body is really ready for baby making, right? Mm. And you just keep pushing it off and pushing it off. Mm. And finally, you know, I, I had tenure at George Mason and I was all set, you know. And mm. then look at that. The baby did not come 
the, the month that I had set aside to have a baby, you know, mm. and I, of course I was crushed. I was heartbroken. And my, and my husband was um, upset also each in our different ways. My mm. husband and I, uh, we've, I think, men and women react very differently to infertility. Men and women are not the same. This is another big lie they'll tell you. They'll tell you that, you know, oh. that a good society should make it so men and women are the same in every mm. regard. And, you know, that's, that's a fool's errand, you know, that can't be done. So anyway, um, in 1991, we resolved our infertility by adopting a little boy from Romania mm -hmm. um, who was two and a half years old when we got him in 1991. Remember, this is right after the Berlin Wall had come down yes. and Eastern Europe yes. was opening. And, yeah. um, you know, so we were in yes. the first batch of people really, you know, to get the Eastern European orphans. Mm. And we adopted him. He was two and a half years old when we got him. Mm. And we found out that we were pregnant, you know, and we mm. had mm. our daughter was born six months after he arrived. Mm. So um, so we had Look. two children within six months of each other. Which is um, unusual. <laughs> Well, it's a record even for a Catholic, you know, yes. to get it done like that. But, um, but, but, but the reason I'm telling you that it's so important that we had these two children in our home at the same time, one who had been profoundly neglected and mm. the other who came into the world in the usual way with a mother and father and mm. took care of her. You know, we weren't extraordinary parents. We were normal, ordinary parents to her. You know, she had a normal, mm. ordinary upbringing. But the difference the difference between those two kids and their development and how easy life was and how hard life was and, you know, the mm. problems they had and so on, it just became 100% clear, Jay, that mm. kids need their parents. Kids mm. need their parents. And you cannot say, oh, just put them in daycare, which was my plan, right, as a career mm. woman. It was my right to put my child in daycare, you know, and and of course that was that was a disaster for him, mm. you know. Now he's okay now; he's in his thirties, you know, so he's all grown up. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. Every, everything's fine. But at the time, you know, it was my plan. I'll put him in daycare, and yeah. now it's it's our joke. Our joke in the family is, kiddo, you flunked daycare. Okay, you flunked <laughs> out of daycare. You know, <laughs> but uh -huh. but but it was true. He couldn't manage being in daycare. He needed he needed his mommy. You know, I yes. brought this kid halfway across the world. What yeah. am I doing? Put him in daycare. Yeah, it defeated the purpose. <laughs> right. That's but he right. didn't need institutional care. He already had institutional <laughs> yeah, care. We yeah. already knew that. We already knew what that's that right. was, you know. Um, so that that's in the 90s, you know. Yes. Way, way back, you know. and oh. but it, But it forced me to think about what we were doing in American society mm -hmm. in saying, well, kids are so resilient. You can get divorced and remarried as many times as you want. The kids will be fine. They'll get over it. You know, they're little. They don't even notice that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, holy cow. They notice everything. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. they, 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 they need their mother and father. They need their mother and father to love each other, you know. And so that was really the germ of what became the Ruth Institute, that that insight okay. is what okay. drives that drives everything in the Ruth Institute. Because because once you start thinking about it from that perspective, you realize that um, that kids need their parents. Well, that means you need a social system, a social structure that protects kids' rights to their parents. If the law says kids are resilient, it doesn't really matter you know, mm. who they're living with or, we, you know, it, they'll be fine. If that's what the law says, 
the kids are not going to have access to their parents are going to be living with, you know, maybe they never know their father. Right. Um, maybe right. they live with their mom and while she cycles through a series of boyfriends. Yeah. Oh, but they're fine. You know, <laughs> so the law enables certain things and the law has the capacity to protect certain things. And it just has become clear to me over the years mm. that traditional Christian sexual ethics protects the rights of children. Full stop that protects the rights of children to have a relationship with both of their parents, to even know both of their parents. You know, some of the crazy mm. stuff we're doing in the United States, people don't even, you know, if you're, if you're born from donor sperm, you mm. don't even know who your father is, right? Mm. And, and the government actively keeps you from knowing who your father is. How Ouch. crazy is that? Yes, yes. Okay. Right? How, yeah. Anyway, let's segue to marriage then, uh, since you yeah. mentioned it already. Uh, I'll, let me give you a brief background here in the Philippines. We don't have divorce yet, and yep. actually we're fighting to keep it that way. We yes. do have annulment and legal separation for the hard cases of marriage. And legal separation is the closest we got to our Catholic canon uh, code of canon law on separation without uh -huh. breaking the bond uh -huh. of marriage. So also we have... We don't have same-sex marriage or union laws in the country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'll, I just want to ask you, Dr. Morse, the fundamental question, what is marriage and what is the purpose of marriage? You kind of oh. mentioned that briefly. but Yes, yes. Well, you know, there's. I'm, going, I'm not going to answer you from the perspective of Catholic theology or Catholic okay, sure. canon law. Sure. Okay, I'm going to answer you strictly from a secular sociological perspective okay that would be great <laughs> yeah 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 the the essential public purpose of marriage is to attach mothers and fathers to their children and to one another mm. that's the essential public purpose of marriage mm. if we were different kinds of creatures mm. that didn't need uh, long-term care as as babies you know um yeah. you would need marriage yeah you would need marriage if we were that if we were if we didn't reproduce through sex uh -huh. you wouldn't need marriage nobody would have ever thought of it you know <laughs> yes <laughs> right 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 so, yeah, right. so the, so the point the essential public purpose of marriage is to attach mothers and fathers to their children and to one another mm. for the good of the children and for the good of the adults you know and that's what we've been kind of talking about here all already yes but yes. it but it's important to see that this is the public purpose of marriage because a lot of times people will want to start talking to you about all the private reasons why they got married mm -hmm. and they'll say well not every marriage has children well yes, that's yes. true mm -hmm. oh, well that's true but every mm -hmm. child has parents Correct. and it, it, right every child Correct. has parents and if you're focused on the adults and whether mm -hmm. they have kids or not you're looking at, you, st you, st you stood the whole thing on its head. Mm -hmm. The point is the children. Every child has parents. Every child has a right to a relationship with both parents, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's what lifelong married love protects. That's the interest, that's the legitimate interest of children mm -hmm. that lifelong married love protects. And let's face it, children cannot march into court and sue somebody and say, you know, I haven't seen my father. Get somebody get over here and do something mm. about it. You know, a child yeah. can't do that, right? So we have an institutional structure that protects children's interests in advance of anything bad happening. Mm. You know, you don't wait for the thing to fall apart before somebody sues for damages. That's mm. crazy, mm. you know. Um, and, and I can tell you here, here in the U.S., there are literally millions of children 
who uh, who lose access to their parents because of divorce. Uh, generally, the father, you know, that they they are, are unable to see the father again. Um, there are many cases where people go on to remarry, mm-hmm. and the the new marriage in the new marriage, everybody's interested in that second marriage, mm. and. You not only lose your daddy because, but now when your mommy has a new boyfriend, you lose your mommy because mommy's more interested in that boyfriend than she is in you. And her boyfriend for sure is not interested in you. Yeah, you, since you mentioned that, because I was about to ask, what are the benefits of an ideally permanent marriage? Because one could say, if my spouse and I don't love each other anymore, why can't I get out of this loveless marriage? through yeah. a divorce why can't we replace them with a better one why would yeah, it be yeah. better to to separate yeah. than the children seeing mom and daddy always fighting so yeah well you know that has been that that is exactly what the apologists for divorce say mm. they said it over here in 1968 they're set, they're peddling the same lies to you okay mm. and every single thing that you just said has been thoroughly thoroughly refuted by experience mm. Mm. Okay, Mm. so um, second marriages are more likely to fail than first marriages. Mm. All right, so Mm. okay, you're going to throw away one marriage and in the hope that it's going to be better. Mm. Eh, Probably (laughs) not, (laughs) you know. Maybe, but maybe not, you know. Um, Secondly, um, children do suffer from their parents' divorce even when there's conflict in the marriage. Okay, so it has to be really, really high level abusive conflict in the marriage mm. before the kids are better off mm, with mm, their parents' divorce. Mm. The kid, what the kids want is for their parents to pull themselves together and, and act right. Even if you don't feel it, baby, mm. act like act it, you know, mm. because kids don't, kids don't really know what's mm. going on in the bedroom. Okay. Let's <laughs> be real. Kids don't really yes. know all of your, you know, and, and if they do, if they do, that's on you because mm. you should be protecting them from mm. that. We, we as adults, you know, that's our job. Mm. We should do the hard mm. things. As mm. Katie, you, you, I know you've interviewed our friend Katie Faust. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. As, as Katie puts it, if, if there's a hard thing that needs to be done, the adults should do the hard thing, not the yeah. kids. Correct. Not the kids. Yeah. That, that's, that's not right. So, yeah. So yeah and, and if you want to see, uh, you know, just piles and piles of research papers on the impact of divorce on kids, it's out there. Negative, one negative result after another of divorce on kids. And this brings it back to the Catholic position. Mm-hmm. The Catholic mm-hmm. Church is the last entity on the planet that even goes through the motions of defending the teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus was very clear. He was not clear. He didn't say, you have mm-hmm. to stay with that mean, lying, cheating bastard and let him beat you up. He did not say anything like yes, that. Yes. What he said was, what he said was, you don't get a second marriage. Mm-hmm. If you leave, if, you know, if you divorce and attempt a remarriage, that is not a marriage. Correct. That is adultery. Mm-hmm. That's his prohibition. And if you look at the impact on the kids, on the children of divorce, we now have plenty of evidence, right? Mm-hmm. It's the second marriage that really does them in. Yes. You know, it's it, it, it's that disloyalty built into the family, into that new family structure that's really so hard on them. Yeah. I, I Yeah, I would like to comment on the the first one you said. Uh, the second marriage is uh-huh. not better. Because what I think is, 
like people aren't fixing fixing themselves anymore because traditionally in marriage if one spouse has a problem they're all in this together for better or worse but yeah. with divorce you just leave the person and sometimes what no one realizes is that i learned this from Layla Miller's book Impossible Marriages Redeemed when you yes. think when you think a cheating spouse has the behavioral problem sometimes the innocent spouse don't know he or she too might have might be the reason for the divorce and nothing gets fixed you only go to the second marriage without anything being fixed for yourself and and, and maybe that's the reason why second marriages don't last yes. as well yeah. yes i think that's right that that in in most marriages um there there's blame on both sides yeah. let's put it that way you know i mean and 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 of course there are extreme cases well i'll give you an extreme case okay a friend mm. of mine i have a dear friend um, not Catholic, Latter-day Saint, as a matter of fact, mm -hmm. Mormon. Um, I don't know if you guys have Mormons over there, but they're, they're oh, really? lovely yeah, they're people. Few, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're they're lovely people, and they believe in marriage and so on. And so this woman, um, you know, she has a very difficult husband who's physically abusive and mentally ill. Mm. And, you know, she's been trying to, you know, deal with it, figure out what to do, you know, and she did get some support from her church. They 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 kind of called him on the carpet and, mm. you know, tried to make him behave and, you know, so on and so forth. But, you know, in her frustration, she said to me one time, she says, you mm. know, um, if, if divorce doesn't solve anything, because if I if if we get divorced, he's still out there with his mental illness. He can yeah. go marry someone else. Yes, yes. I can, yeah, oh, I can get married and I can be happy with a new spouse, but he can go marry somebody else yes, and drive yes. somebody else crazy. That's right. That's okay, right. how does that happen? <laughs> Wait <laughs> and, a minute. And that's Wait my point. Yeah, that's right. You, you <laughs> just said my point. And it that's will right. be, it, it will open up to another set of problems and new exactly. kids that will have the, the new set of problems. Yes. That's exactly right. And plus all the complications of the, of step families and and I think I think Jay we really need to to touch on that because okay. your country you are not ready yes. for what will happen if you allow divorce on demand now mm -hmm. what do they say when they say allowing divorce what do they mean do you can you tell me just a little bit about the law that so, they're proposing at first I I thought they were just going through a fault based system of divorce uh -huh. but I'm hearing that like they they might push for no fault as well because i'm hearing a lot of like like if there are irreconcilable differences between the spouses already why not sever the the marriage bonds so it seems like we're going through that yes if if they say, if irreconcilable differences is a ground for divorce that is in effect no fault divorce mm, okay mm. so you guys have to have your um your your antenna up mm. and your ears perked right that you don't want that mm -hmm. if they start talking like that and they say oh no no only extreme cases only hardship blah mm -hmm. blah blah mm -mm -mm. no mm -hmm. they're lying to you right flat out okay you got to put a stop to it right there yep. so so what what happens i mean there are two two aspects of um of the no fault system okay mm -hmm. one is just the just the fact that your your court system becomes corrupted by mm -hmm. It, the family courts in the United States are are very corrupted by by no fault divorce, and mm -hmm. what I mean by that is that um, they they say, well, we're going to allow two people. The, the the line that you're hearing is if two people don't love each other anymore, the differences are irreconcilable. 
why not let these two sensible adult people separate, mm. go their separate ways, settle it you know, peacefully, and so on and so forth. Mm. Well, the fact is what happens is that one person wants divorce, the other person generally doesn't. We estimate mm. that probably three quarters of divorce take mm. place against the will of one party. Ooh. In other words, one person wants to stay married. And this is what you got to think about. One mm. person wants to stay married. They have no rights no rights Ooh. to keep their marriage at all. And so then the whole family ends up in court by the action of one person who wants the divorce. Mm. The whole family ends up in family court to divide the assets of the family, to divide the child time, the, the parenting time. Mm. So whether you get to see your child on Christmas day or not mm. is not up to you. The court tells you mm. who gets to see the child on Christmas day or any other holiday, you mm. know, Courts get involved in all kinds of things, and it is awful. Mm. It is awful. It, it brings out the worst in people. Mm. And, and in fact, lawyers in the United States have this saying that in criminal court, you see the worst people in society on their best behavior. Mm. But in family court, you see the best people in society on their worst behavior Ouch. because the, the spouses are vindictive. And then the children end up being pawns in the in the quarrel between the parents. It's awful. Okay, yeah. that whole aspect of it, and people lose their rights to their property. The state, you know, allocates things. None of the government's business. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. who chooses the daughter's prom dress? It, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things. That get the, literally, the court gets involved in these things. Mm -hmm. So that's one whole aspect. The other aspect is the impact of children having to live in two homes because mm. this is the fair way to do it is to divide mm. the child time between mother and father, because as mm. long as they're both fit parents, you know, they're both, oh, no, no. Uh, everybody gets a, a chance, you know, to see their children. We want to preserve the relationships and so on and so forth. But that means the whole burden is on the child mm. to mm. move every, you know, maybe every week. Think about that. Every week they're moving, you know, they're five days with their mom and all weekends with their father or, you know, 50-50 yeah, yeah. parenting time. The child is moving back and forth yes. constantly. They're carrying their backpack, you know. Yeah, um, I, yeah I read this uh, from one testimony, the, the hardships of, of picking up everything they need, the, the child picking up everything they need, remembering what to bring what to leave behind, the assignments, and then doing it again when going to the other uh, parent. Right. It's right. very stressful for the child. And then, and then add to that, add to that the fact that if your mom gets remarried and she has a baby with her new husband or your dad gets remarried and he has a new baby with a new wife, as I already mentioned, mm. that little unit of three people, mother, father, baby, that's intact. Okay? Mm. And and that's easy for everybody. That mom and dad can be on the same page with that child, right? Mm. And so here you are, the child of the first marriage. You are the leftover from the first mm. marriage. Mm. And, uh, and they feel it. They feel it. You know, they're looking, they're seeing that when they're at their mom's house, um, that, that new child, there are photos hanging on the wall mm. Mm. with that child and both of their parents. But for you... There are no photos on the wall with you and your mom and your mom's ex-husband, because to her, he's the ex-husband. He's not your father, exactly. 
See? Yeah. Right. And so, and so it's, and, and then the same thing at your father's house, you know, and yeah. parents will try most parents, I think are conscientious and try not to play favorites, but it's really hard. Mm. <laughs> it's just really, really hard, you know, and the discipline becomes complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, with that stepchild, because the mother and father are not in the same house, they're not operating as a team. Mm-hmm. You got the new dad or the new mom. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it's it's really hard. Mm-hmm. It's really hard, and it and the child has the feeling that they are a leftover, mm-hmm. and no child should have to have that feeling in their own home. So, so I heard <clears throat> you say that in no fault divorce. The government sides with the person who wants the marriage the least, and we just want mm-hmm. to understand from the Philippines uh, because we're not aware of the divorce proceedings that go in the U.S. Uh, can you s- explain this? Once the 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 unhappy spouse filed the divorce uh, papers, yes. so does it uh, go through by default? Uh, yes. Oh. Okay. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no defense. And, uh-huh. and this is why there are there are some people who are now finally waking up and saying, "Look, this is a, this is unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. You know, this is against the U.S. Constitution. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your Constitution, you know, would look we're, like or what the argument. We're very what, patterned what the, at the U.S. Constitution. Yeah, I know you are. I know <laughs> you are. Uh, but but um, but the point is, what what other contract can you think of? where there's a dispute where one person always loses. No, no. The, uh, there's one side that the, always loses. The, the government Wait, always, that... yeah, the, the government always side with the, the contract uh, to, to they, they don't side with the one who, who wants to breach the contract. The, the government. Typically, that's correct. Yeah, typically. Tip, yeah, tip, typically, typically, the person who breaches the contract got to pay something. Yes. You know, got to yes. pay damages or something, you know. Yes. Typically, the, the government defends the bond, you know, defends right. the contract, mm-hmm. right? Um, and in Catholic, the- it defends the agreement. In Catholic theology, um, you're supposed to defend the bond. If you go for an annulment, if somebody goes for an annulment, if you've had this experience, and we have a lot of problems with annulments in the United States, and yes. that's another mm-hmm. whole, mm-hmm. it's another whole mm-hmm. story. But there's always someone assigned in the um, ecclesial court mm-hmm. who is the defender of the bond. That person is not there to defend either the husband or the wife. He's mm-hmm. there to defend the bond itself because it deserves, it deserves yes. an advocate, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing, nothing comparable to that mm-hmm. um, in, in, in an American family law court. And I promise you, if you've got a bunch of people from the West breathing down your necks, telling you <laughs> you need to have divorce so you can be like America, I promise you that's how it's going to be for you guys too. Nobody is going to defend the bond. The person who says this marriage is over, they always win. Mm. End of story. And Pope Francis calls this the ideological colonization of the West. Yeah, so so it's an ideological colonization. I agree with that. I totally agree with that. It's uh, it's cultural colonialism. Yeah. 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 yeah, and you should resist it, and you should resist yeah. it, and you and you should use that language. You should say this is ideological yes, imperialism, yes. this is cultural colonialism. Go home, dirty <laughs> Yankees. Go home. Take your and, money with you. <laughs> we don't want your of, money. <laughs> there's a lot of ideology that that, yeah. that are uh, being being brought here. Uh, I yes. I see that you commented a bit on the reproductive health bill of the Philippines a yeah. few years ago. Can, can you just give us a gist of that? Because sadly, we failed. The bill has become 
passed into law. But I heard your insights, and they're very eye-opening. Well, you guys failed only because they wore you down. I mean, mm. they were fighting with you guys for a long time. Yes. I, I don't remember the exact history, but was it, didn't it pass finally in 2012? Correct, correct. Uh, it passed in 2012. Tell people, remind people what that actually did. Yeah, I, I will, I'll remind people. Teen pregnancies are still on the rise each year since 2012. Yep. And it became worse in 2019. The teen pregnancy rise to 7% from 2018, from the year before. So it's many years in a row that teen pregnancy yeah. is on the rise. So yeah. the proponents of the law still blame it to the lack of sexual education and the lack of access to birth controls. Even right. though when, when I look to my child's lessons in high school, they already have sex ed. Yeah. Oh, you got to get rid of that too. Yeah. Guys, you got to get rid of that. Mm. That's propaganda. That is mm. that is nothing nothing but propaganda. Mm. You really mm. you, that that's another front in this whole war is the whole um, mm. the whole propaganda war, the, mm. the psychological operation psyops, you know, as we mm. call it to, mm. to to soften everybody up to think well sex is an entitlement. Sex without a baby is an entitlement and so, you know, we have to protect that. That's more important than mm. anything. <laughs> you know, that's that's where we are in the United States. It's, but but the but the reproductive health bill. The thing the thing that uh, really disturbed me so much about it was how much emphasis the West put on influencing the elections um, mm. in the Philippines. I mean, I just thought that was disgraceful. Mm. Um, and 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 they worked on it, like I said, for a long time. I can't even remember when they started probably in the 60s itself that, you know, they were already saying we got to do something about this high birth rate, you know, mm. um, and and I pointed out, I, I gave a couple of lectures about it at the time that it was going on because I was trying to get somebody interested, you know, and at that time I lived in California and there were a lot of uh, Filipino Americans mm. in California, um, the parish that I went to probably, probably a quarter of the parish mm. was Philippine. Um, you know, I had a Philippine uh, pastor, you know, associate pastor. Mm. You guys are evangelizing us. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for thank you for sending us priests. We appreciate it. <laughs> oh, and, and, and and I think what the opponents, uh, what the 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 proponents of the bill says, and they're framing this as you're just uh, against this bill because of your religious uh, reasons. But what was not put into light are the secular reasons as well right. of opposing right. contraception. Right, so, uh, right. And, um, you know, again, the Catholic Church is the, is the last organization on the face of the earth that is even trying to, fa to face up to the problem that, uh, that contraception, the contraceptive ideology really calls it, causes. I, that's what I call it in my book, The Sexual State. Uh, mm. Which you guys, you can buy electronic copies of that, by yep, the way, yep. guys. In you Kindle. know, you can't. Um, yeah, you yep. can get a Kindle copy of it. I, I, I don't recommend trying to ship books that far because the supply things are and shipping is all so crazy mm. now. Um, it worse with COVID than ever before. But you can, you know, right now you can download that book on Kindle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on Kindle. Um, oh. But um, but but the, the the thing that I noticed is that over this period of uh, Philippine independence, I guess it was. It would. I think I had data from like. Um, the 60s to the to 2000 or 2010, mm -hmm. something like that, you know, and you could see um, maternal mortality declining, that is fewer mothers dying in, in childbirth, mm -hmm. you could see um, child mortality declining, that is 
more mm. children surviving infancy, right? You could see that all improving. And uh, when you look at that, you go, well, wait a second. The reason the Philipp and at the same time, the birth rate was already declining. You know, yes, that was already yes, happening. Yes. People were living longer. You know, you had like a, I don't know, a 10 or 20 year increase in lifespan over that period of time. Correct. So correct. people are, lifespan. people are getting healthier and they're, you know, they're living longer and everything. And so you go, wait, the reason your population is growing is not because people are breeding like bunnies. Hmm. The reason the population is growing is because people are no longer dropping like flies. People mm -hmm. are living longer. Mm -hmm. People are not dying. Mm -hmm. That's why. So the, the, the rising population is a sign of something good happening. And, and now you're freaked out over it. <laughs> and we should and celebrate, like, actually, that that's happening. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, but because of the contraceptive mentality, we treat of it as it's like a problem. Right. Yes. Right. It makes no sense. I mean, you know. Sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To my mind, more Filipinos is a good thing. Yes, of course. Right. I mean, more Filipinos is uh, that's 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 a good thing <laughs> to me. <laughs> you know. So, um, but but you have you you the listener, you the reader, you the good Catholic. You have to think this through for yourself because they're never going to point that out to you. Hmm. They're never going to point out that the cause of rising population is that people are living longer. And, and and are living healthier lives and fewer babies are dying, you know, mm. and um, and fertility tends to decline in that environment because people go, well, wait, we don't need to have six children in order to have three surviving children, mm. you know, and so people can control their fertility in a lot of ways besides artificial things, you know, um, like like pills and condoms yes. and abortion and things like that you know but i mean people have figured that hundred for hundreds of years people have known how to do this you know it's not mm. really that hard um but what what the what the revolution this is a revolution it is a social and so sexual and cultural revolution and what it's about is changing the meaning of human sexuality mm. we think the meaning of human sexuality is to bond the husband and the wife and to bring forth new life right and by that by that solidly bonded pair of husband and wife mother and father you have a more stable more loving environment for mm. the children so it's all about procreation that's what marriage and sexuality is about and what modern man wants to think is that it's all about me and fun and my enjoyment mm. and i can throw people away Mm. I can throw away the baby. I can throw away my partner. I can just throw people away, mm. you know? And so that that's what's at stake here. Yes. Do you guys want a throwaway culture or do you want a culture of life and love? Mm. That's the issue. And don't let anybody talk you out of it. They will try to change the subject all the time. You need to bring it back to that subject, yep. right? That's yeah. right. Thanks, Dr. Morse. Uh, we've, we've come to the end of the episode i've enjoyed talking to you and yeah. what I, i got is the children marriage yes. is for the children and it's a wonder that we get so overprotective of them in this whole covid-19 pandemic we're so overprotective we close the schools we we put children to we put masks on children and in some cases parents like ha want their children vaccinated but when it comes to divorce 
where the statistics are staggering that says that yeah. the children will be on a disadvantage, it seems like we don't care that much for the kids. There's a disconnect right. there. I can send you some um, some links mm-hmm. for you to put in your show notes for your people to um, to catch up with. We've have we have a number of video podcasts that we okay. have done on the subject of divorce, and and I certainly want everybody to sign up for the Ruth Institute's mm-hmm. newsletter, our electronic newsletter. We send it out every week, and you will be very well educated about these mm-hmm. issues if you follow us. If you read that newsletter every week. Oh. You're gonna know what's going on. All right. Yeah. So there's one quick thing I would like to ask because critics okay. of this podcast, whenever I interview someone, their go-to move is to dig negative write-ups of the person I interview oh. to attack their authority. Oh. But let's make their life easy for them because you were tagged by the Southern Poverty Law Center yeah. as a hate group. So how yeah. did you get bestowed by this yeah. honor? Yeah, so yeah, so so all of my critics and actually at one time I had um I'm I'm pretty sure that there was someone over at the Southern Poverty Law Center mm-hmm. who was listening to all of my things and reading all of my things to find something mean that I would say, you know, so that they could criticize me and so on. So mm-hmm. yes, um we we are officially a hate group. <laughs> okay. Uh, and and you can be too. You see, yeah, if you yeah. will stand up, if you will stand up for traditional Christian sexual ethics, you too will be a hate group. Mm. And and you need to understand if you allow this ideological colonization to continue, that's how it's going to be. Mm. They, it's not. They talk about it as if it's live and left li- live and let live, but mm. it's really not. Mm. It, that's that's their you know kind of stealth move so they can sneak in. But really, these two views can't coexist. Mm-hmm. One will replace the other. One will displace the other. And um, so, so anyway, yeah, uh, we're supposedly anti-woman. We're supposedly anti-gay. Um, and and when people do that to you, you need to understand that when they're calling me anti-gay, and I've been in many debates, mm-hmm. when they come out with that type of stuff, it's because they cannot refute my arguments. Mm-hmm. They would mm-hmm. rather put the emphasis on, oh, she's so mean, Mm -hmm. uh, rather than saying, well, here's what I think is the essential public purpose of marriage. Mm -hmm. Say, when I come out with that and start talking about that in the gay marriage debate, here's the essential public purpose of marriage. Mm -hmm. It always silenced them. They Mm -hmm. never knew what to say Mm -hmm. after that. So then it was always, well, you're just a bigot. You're just, it's just your religious views. You're imposing your religion on people. You know, and I would keep coming back to, well, what do you think mm. is the essential public purpose of yep. marriage? You know, All what right. do you think it mm. is? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's how you deal with it, you guys. And and yeah, you'll get, you'll have to deal with it too. But yes. but be brave, be brave, Thanks. Philippines. Thanks, Doctor Morse. And that's a subject for another time. I uh, hope you come back to the podcast again uh, to talk about uh, same-sex marriage at some point. So, yeah, uh, please invite the audience to your work as well. And how can we follow you on social media? You, you kind of touch on this. but Yes. Yep. Yes. We, we, have a, we have a website, mm-hmm. ruthinstitute.org. That's where you can find us online. We have a YouTube channel, a whole YouTube channel. Just, Ruth in, just go to YouTube and type in Ruth Institute. We'll pop up. We have um, two videos per week. We upload something on Tuesdays and we upload something, something on Friday. Um, so, so there's plenty of, of new material all the time. But most of it is um, what we call evergreen material. In other mm. words, you can listen to it two years later and still get something out of it. It doesn't mm. have to be the newest, mm. you know. Mm. Right. Um, and then we have a Facebook page, very active Facebook page. So uh, come and join us on Facebook too. 
All right. Thanks, Dr. Morse. You're a blessing. This has been another episode of the J.R. Show. At the end of the day, it will be night. Goodbye. Goodbye.